Chinese President Xi Jinping took a trip to Moscow this March to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. And the Chinese leader apparently considered this such an important historic meeting that he said upon leaving Moscow that they are embarking on changes not seen for 100 years. The exact quote is from President Xi. Right now, there are changes the likes of which we haven't seen for 100 years, and we are the ones driving these changes together. And Putin replied, I agree. Take care, please, dear friend. Clearly, something very important is going on. But unfortunately, almost all of the coverage in Western media doesn't actually inform us about these historical developments in geopolitics and international economics. Instead, the Western media outlets portray Xi and Putin as evil villains, as boogeymen, with a very, with a very biased, unnuanced perspective. So today I want to look at what was discussed in the meeting, the important breakthroughs in this meeting, and especially the impact that it's going to have on the global economic system. Because there has been coverage in the Western media of China's role in trying to encourage peace talks to end the proxy war in Ukraine between NATO on one side and Russia on the other. And that's certainly a very important development that I will talk about today. But I actually think the most significant takeaway from this meeting between Xi and Putin is what it means for the global economy and especially China and Russia and their attempt to challenge the hegemony of the US dollar. Today, I'm gonna to start this analysis looking at some media reports and I will analyze them. And then later on, I'm gonna look at the official diplomatic statements released by both China and Russia and provide context and highlights for what I think are some of the most important things to take away. Now, first is the South China Morning Post published a very interesting article that emphasized China and Russia's attempt to challenge US dollar hegemony while significantly increasing trade between each other using their own domestic currencies as opposed to the US dollar. One of the most important comments made was by Putin, who said, we are for the use of the Chinese Yuan in settlements between Russia and Asian countries, Africa, Latin America. This practice should be further encouraged. So this is Putin signaling that the yuan, the Chinese currency, the renminbi, and, and, and the unit of it is known as the yuan, this is becoming an international currency, and it's challenging the hegemony of the US dollar, which is used in about 60% of the foreign exchange reserves held by central banks around the world. And the US dollar, according to the US Federal Reserve, was involved in about 80% of international trade in the past 20 years although that number has been drastically decreasing in the past few years as China and Russia are leading the attempts to de-dollarize. As part of this discussion, Putin noted that two-thirds of bilateral trade between Russia and China is already in rubles and yuan using their own currency. And at the beginning of 2022, over half of Russia's export settlements were invoiced in US dollars. But by September of 2022, in less than a year, that figure had fallen to about 35%. So that is to say about one third of Russia's exports are not in US dollars. They're in rubles, yuan, or other currencies. 
This is very significant because one of the key ways in which the United States maintains its hegemony around the world is not only through 800 foreign military bases and threats of invasions and proxy wars, but even more so because of its economic power. The dollar is so powerful in, in international trade. It is still the, by far the most common currency used in foreign exchange reserves held by central banks. It's the de facto global reserve currency. And China is directly challenging that. And we now see a statement from Russia acknowledging that Russia encourages the yuan specifically. The South China Morning Post highlighted how close China and Russia are under Xi and Putin, noting the two leaders have met more than 40 times. So that's the economic angle, which I'm going to spend most of this analysis discussing today. But I also want to highlight another very important point, which is that a few days before President Xi flew to Moscow for this meeting with Putin, China, Russia, and Iran held joint naval drills, joint military exercises in the Gulf of Oman. Commenting on this, the Chinese foreign ministry said the joint military exercise will help deepen practical cooperation between the participating countries' navies and inject positive energy into regional peace and stability. So this is very significant because it's a sign that China is continuing to expand not only its economic partnership, but its military partnership with Russia, despite the constant threats from NATO, despite the proxy war in Ukraine, despite Western sanctions on Russia, and of course, despite the Western, the U.S. sanctions on Iran and the U.S. constant attempts to attack Iran, Donald Trump murdered Iran's top general, Qasem Soleimani. So this is China saying very clearly that Beijing, Moscow, and Tehran are close allies. It's also rather ironic, I should point out, because the major U.S. imperial strategist, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who served as national security advisor under U.S. President Jimmy Carter and was one of the architects of the U.S. proxy war against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan in the 1980s, which gave birth to al-Qaeda and the Taliban, he published a book in 1997 called The Grand Chessboard, in which he articulated a plan for the U.S. to maintain hegemony over the entire world, to be the only superpower and a global empire that controls every inch of the planet. And in this book, The Grand Chessboard, Brzezinski constantly stressed that the U.S. must do anything it can to prevent a near-peer strategic competitor from emerging in Eurasia. He said the U.S. must maintain control. The U.S. must maintain its hegemonic control over Eurasia, and as an example of what he considered the most dangerous scenario to U.S. hegemony in Eurasia, he referred to a, a so-called anti-hegemonic coalition of China, Russia, and perhaps Iran. So that is exactly what has emerged just under two decades later. It is quite literally the worst nightmare for imperial strategists in Washington who want the U.S. to control the entire world. So while we're talking about China and Russia's attempt to challenge the hegemony of the U.S. dollar, I should also point out some recent reports that I did that I will link to in the description below so you can get more analysis and details. And one is that the foreign minister of, of South Africa, which is one of the members of the BRIC system, B-R-I-C-S, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. South Africa recently confirmed that BRICS is trying to develop a new global reserve currency to challenge the 
hegemony of the US dollar, or as South Africa said, the challenge US dollar dominance. And this meeting also comes just a few weeks after China brokered a historic agreement normalizing ties between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And I have another separate episode and analysis of that, which in which I go into great detail. But one of the key aspects of that as well is that both China, uh, that both Iran and Saudi Arabia have China as their largest trading partner. They're both members of the Belt and Road Initiative, China's massive global infrastructure project. And Iran has already for a decade been selling its oil to China in the yuan, not in the dollar, in order to get around illegal unilateral U.S. sanctions. And furthermore, Saudi Arabia, it, the government recently confirmed in June that it is considering selling its oil in other currencies, not just the U.S. dollar. So when President Xi of China visited Saudi Arabia in December of 2022 for a, a, a historic trip, he announced that China will be buying oil and gas from the Persian Gulf region, not in dollars, but rather in yuan. So this is a massive blow to the petrodollar system, U.S. economic hegemony. And just what is that? And really briefly, in 1974, U.S. President Richard Nixon sent his Treasury Secretary to Saudi Arabia to sign a historic agreement in which Saudi Arabia agreed to sell its oil exclusively in dollars and then to invest those petrodollars in U.S. Treasury bonds and to deposit its dollars in, the, in commercial banks in the United States. So that meant that there was this circular flow of U.S. dollars through the financial system in the United States. And the U.S. has used that to give loans to countries in the global south. And then when they can't pay them back, the, the U.S.-dominated financial institutions like the IMF and the World Bank have imposed neoliberal structural adjustment policies, which basically subordinates them to the United States and specifically U.S. corporations. So the point is that that shift that we saw in the 1970s with the creation of the petrodollar system after U.S. President Richard Nixon took the dollar off of gold in 1971, what we're seeing today, I think, can be something seen similarly in history as a watershed moment that will challenge fundamentally this international financial architecture that was created in the 1970s. So President Xi that we're not going to see change, we're, we're going to see change that we haven't seen in 100 years. Maybe 100 years is, is a little too much, maybe 80 years going back to the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944, or maybe, you know, 50 years going back to the 1970s. But regardless, we are seeing fundamental historic change, particularly in the economic arena. And I'm going to look at what China has been saying here in an article in Global Times. This is a Chinese newspaper that is closely linked to the Chinese government, and it represents a certain faction of a more nationalist wing of Chinese politics that is more skeptical of integration with the West. This article is titled China, Russia, I trade boom expected to achieve $200 billion trade target ahead of schedule and also talking about co cooperation expanding under the BRIC system and also the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The Global Times noted that China and Russia are expected to achieve their goal of $200 billion of annual trade ahead of schedule. And they discussed cooperation in many ways, including trade, investment, the supply chain, mega projects, energy, and heights and technology. 
President Xi also invited Putin to travel to China to attend the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. And Global Times pointed out that Putin previously attended the other two Belt and Road Fora. And they stress again that in 2022, bilateral trade between China and Russia hit a high of $190 billion, which is an increase of 116% since 2012. And in 2019, China and Russia sent their goal of reaching 200 billion by 2024. It's expected to reach it by this year, 2023, so one year early. Global Times also pointed out that Russia is now China's top oil supplier and that Russia's state-owned gas giant Gazprom sent a record for daily ga natural gas deliveries to China via the Power of Siberia pipeline. This pipeline is very important because it represents visually, you can see it, how Russia's economy is shifting from integration with Europe and the West and is moving toward integration with Asia. And especially in the past year with the proxy war over Ukraine and Western sanctions on Russia, it has supercharged Russia's attempt to integrate with the rest of Asia. And this is a report from NBC, CNBC. Of course, we know that they're very biased against China and Russia, but they do have a, a, a useful map here showing the power of Siberia pipeline. And it points out that the, this pipeline is being overseen by two state-owned companies, Russia's Gazprom, which is the gas giant, and also China's uh, Na National Petroleum Corporation. So this is a state-to-state -state project not done by private corporations which is something that's unfathomable in the United States where everything is overseen by corporations. Anyway, the point is that this map shows the Power of Siberia pipeline route. And you can see that this is the eastern part of Russia. And it, it shows really that we're seeing a process of Asian integration. And this is often referred to as Eurasian integration because previously Russia was trying to integrate more with Europe and Russia was seen as you know, part of Europe. But essentially what we've seen in the past year with the proxy war in Ukraine is that Russia has been kicked out of Europe. And really Russia is returning to its role as an Asian power. Of course, Russia, I mean, Europe doesn't really exist as a separate entity. It's in, in many school programs around the world, in fact, people are, students are taught that Eurasia is the continent. There's no geo, geological reason that Europe and, and Asia should be separated. It's one landmass, Eurasia. And we now see that Russia is continuing its historical role of integration, not with Europe, but rather with Asia. And that's supercharged right now. In the meeting between Xi and Putin, the Russian president pointed out that they're also discussing creating a new pipeline to connect Russia and China. And that's called the Power of Siberia 2 pipeline. And there has been conflicting reports over about this, but the Financial Times reported that Mongolia has already said that the pipeline is going to break ground in 2024. Of course, Mongolia is between Russia and China. The Financial Times noted that this was the first time that, that Russia was connecting its Europe supplying gas fields to Asia. And it quoted the Mongolian prime minister, who said the feasibility study of this project, this new pipeline has finished, and we believe construction will begin in 2024. 
I will come back to that point in a bit, but before then, I want to finish looking through the main points of this Global Times article. It noted that the scope of China's economic and trade investment in Russia is expanding. Previously, it was focused more on energy and agriculture, but now China is helping to advance uh, automobile industries, so building cars, home appliances, technologies, and food processing as well. So the forms of economic cooperation with, between Russia and China are not only expanding in number, growing in number, but they're also deepening in the, the technological sophistication. And Global Times reported that there are now more than 1,000 Chinese companies setting up factories in Russia as they expand this economic partnership. And in the first two months of 2023, trade between China and Russia surged by 36% just in two months and hit in US dollars 33.59 billion. Now, in addition to media reports, I want to look in the latter half of this analysis here, look at the official statements from both the Chinese and Russian governments, because these are very rarely mentioned in Western media. And it's important to get the perspective of these leaders who are just universally portrayed as, again, cartoon villains by Western media, which is not a way to understand the world and be informed. And this is, the, this is a joint statement that was released by the Chinese foreign ministry. And it's short, but it summarizes some of the main points. And specifically, a lot of it is about Ukraine. And what's important to note here is that Russia has reaffirmed its commitment to the resumption of peace talks as soon as possible. And keep in mind, this is a joint statement, not just from China, but also from Russia. So this is Russia signaling pub publicly that it wants to have peace talks. And China has proposed peace talks to end this war. It no noted that the Russian side welcomes China's willingness to play a positive role for political and diplomatic settlement of the Ukraine crisis. And both sides pointed out that in order to settle this crisis, the legitimate security concerns of all countries must be respected. So this is them signaling that this is not simply a one-sided conflict between Russia and Ukraine. It's a proxy war with NATO, and NATO has to abide by Russia's legitimate security guarantees and security needs. And this is also referencing the fact that not only did NATO continue to expand eastward, despite the fact that when the Soviet Union agreed to the reunification of Germany in 1990, the Western powers, the US, Britain, and France agreed that NATO would not expand one inch to the east after reunification of Germany. And instead, it expanded and added over a dozen new countries, all east of Germany, including Germany itself, and reunified Germany itself. And, but not, not just that, in late 2021, before Russia invaded Ukraine, Russia demanded a series of security guarantees from the US and NATO and the EU, and the West rejected Russia. It refused to give any security guarantees. So now we see that China is willing to negotiate these peace talks, but they're saying that there has to be security guarantees, not only for Ukraine, but also for Russia. And finally, Another part of the statement that is important is that both sides reiterated their opposition to unilateral sanctions, which are illegal according to international law 
unless they have the approval of the UN Security Council. So this is them acknowledging that the US sanctions, not only against Russia, but also against China, Iran, Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, Zimbabwe, Syria, many countries, those are illegal according to international law. Before I move on and look at other statements from China and Russia, I should point out that the Wall Street Journal admitted that the US is trying to sabotage China's attempt to have peace talks. The article is very straightforward. It's titled, U.S. seeks to head off any Chinese call for ceasefire in Ukraine. So this is the most blatant public example we've seen admitting that the U.S. does not want peace talks. It does not want to conclude the war, the proxy war in Ukraine peacefully. It wants to continue fueling this proxy war. And the goal is, as President Biden said in a speech in Poland in 2022, the goal is to remove the, the leadership in Russia, President Putin. It's it's regime change. And U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the U.S. goal is to weaken Russia. So we, this is a very blatant example of the U.S. not wanting peace and China wanting peace, just as China was the country that finally negotiated peace between Iran and Saudi Arabia after the U.S. was pressuring Saudi Arabia for years to basically wage war on Iran. And as I noted in my separate report on the geopolitical game changer that China negotiated between Iran and Saudi Arabia. I have that linked in the description below. As I noted there, in 2020, Iraq was trying to negotiate peace talks between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. sabotaged those peace talks when Donald Trump murdered the top Iranian official Qasem Soleimani in January 2020, when Soleimani was in Iraq trying to negotiate with Saudi Arabia. I've done other reports, which I'll link to in the description below, about documenting how the U.S. has repeatedly, and Europe also, has repeatedly sabotaged attempts at having a peaceful resolution of the proxy war in Ukraine. The, the head of foreign policy for the European Union, Joseph Borrell, he said very clearly that the only solution to the conflict is a military solution, that they want Ukraine to fight to the last Ukrainian to bleed Russia. And also there were attempts to negotiate a, a peaceful resolution hosted by Turkey, Turkey, which is a NATO member, and also by Israel, which is, you know, the closest U.S. ally probably in the world or one of them. And those, peace, those attempts at peace talks that were allegedly successful, uh, they were sabotaged by the United States and by Europe. So we see another example of this. And the joint statement between Putin and Xi has made it clear that Russia supports having peace talks, but it's the U.S. that does not want those peace talks. Now, I want to look at some of the official diplomatic statements published by the Russian and, and uh, Chinese governments. I already looked at one from the Chinese foreign ministry. This is one from the Russian presidency, and the, it, it includes the, the comments that were made in this meeting in, on March 20th and March 21st in Moscow. And Putin pointed out that this meeting is symbolic because President Xi was just reelected by the Chinese political system for his third term. And this is the first trip he's taking abroad in his third term. And Putin pointed out that exactly 10 years before, it was Xi's first trip abroad was to Russia. And it was his first trip as president of the People's Republic of China. And they pointed out that Putin pointed out that in this decade, uh, Russia's trade with China has doubled 
from 87 billion US dollars to nearly 200 billion dollars. And that's expected to meet that goal this year. And President Xi, in, in his comments, he also emphasized that, that shortly after his most recent re-election as president in China, he chose Russia as his first foreign visit. And 10 years before, when he first became president, he chose Russia. So this is both Putin and Xi really sim signaling diplomatically that they each consider each country their most important ally. Here, I'm going to look at the uh, diplomatic statements published by the Russian presidency, which is from the next day, March 21st. And this is, you know, while the talks have been going on already for a day now. And I'm going to look at some of the main points. It notes that the Russian and Chinese government signed two joint statements. One is the joint statement on deepening the Chinese, the Russian-Chinese comprehensive partnership and strategic cooperation for a new era. And the other is the joint statement on the plan to promote the key elements of Russian-Chinese economic cooperation until 2030. So when President Xi said that they're seeing historic changes not seen in 100 years, you can bet that that's part of the comprehensive partnership for a new era. And then the other main points which I've been discussing are economic cooperation. And that's really the kind of main thrust of these comments that, that Putin and Xi made. Putin pointed out, again, highlighting that there's trade has been expanding to nearly $200 billion and trade increased by more than 30% over the past year. He, he noted that they have uh, made agreements on 80 bilateral projects in various fields worth around $165 billion. Energy cooperation is expanding. Russia is a strategic supplier of oil, natural gas, including LNG, coal and electricity to China. Russia is also building nuclear power facilities, and they discussed the Power of Siberia 2 gas pipeline. I mentioned the Power of, of Siberia gas pipeline, and that's the first one. And the map shows that it's about re rerouting Russia's gas exports away from Europe and toward Asia. And this is part of this historic process of Asian integration as the West, as Europe is more and more economically subordinated to the United States, Russia is economically integrating with Asia. Putin said that they've reached an agreement on most of the deal's parameters for the Power of Siberia 2 gas pipeline. And again, the government of Mongolia has said that they expect that the, the pipeline will break ground potentially in 2024. Now, here is another key detail that I was discussing earlier, and I want to highlight this again. Putin said in his statement that it is important that our national currencies are increasingly used in bilateral trade. We should continue promoting settlements in national currencies and expand the reciprocal presence of financial and banking structures in our country's markets. So this is about de-dollarization, challenging the hegemony of the U.S. dollar. And again, this is such an important point for the Chinese-Russian partnership. And I, I, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing this so much. It's why I talk about it so much, because it will fundamentally change the geopolitical and economic landscape of the world for decades to come. Because U.S. imperial hegemony is based so much not on its military hegemony, which is an important part, but also by its economic hegemony. And this is where Putin made the comment where he said, we support using Chinese Yuan in transactions between Russia and its partners in Asia 
Africa and Latin America. So this is about the internationalization of the renminbi, the Chinese currency, challenging the the use of the dollar in the vast majority of international trade and foreign exchange reserves. Now, Putin also talked about the increasing collaboration in more advanced industries, including China and Russia are collaborating in in aircraft construction, shipbuilding, and car manufacturing. And they, he said that Russia is ready to support Chinese businesses in replacing the Western enterprises that left Russia. So in response to the Western sanctions over the, the proxy war in Ukraine, Russia has said, fine, all those Western companies that want to leave, they, they can go. And instead, Russia is focusing on building its own industries and China is now helping to make up for the lost Western industries. Again, part of this Asian integration. And meanwhile, agricultural trade is growing. Putin said it's growing by 41% in 2022. And this is about providing food security so both Russia and China can can have stable supports of food in case the West wants to try to cut off food supplies or impose unilateral sanctions. And in addition to food security, Putin talks about technological sovereignty. And he said, by combining our wealth of research cap capacity and industrial capabilities, Russia and China can become world leaders in information technology, cybersecurity, and artificial intelligence. So again, this is not just about low level cooperation and trade of very basic things like oil, gas, raw materials, food. It's about advanced technology that they're working together on. And they're challenging the West's control over advanced technology. It's, it's, it's economic hegemony. Furthermore, they're talking about increasing infrastructure physically. I mentioned, you know, gas pipelines, but Putin said that they're working on building uh, the formation of our, of a China-Europe railway and road corridors through Russian territory, and that remains an absolute priority. And Putin concluded his statements emphasizing that their increasing coordination is going to also be done under the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is growing in importance. Iran is becoming a full member. Now, after Putin spoke, the Russian uh, diplomatic statement includes a statement also from Xi, although it's very short. And I'm going to look at more of Xi's comments in a bit. But he emphasized also that China's goal is prioritizing high quality development. And this is a reflection of the main points agreed to in the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China. That was held in October of 2022. And it shows that China is it changed its goals from simply just developing as a country and expanding the productive forces to now promoting high quality growth and high quality development to promote modernization. So this is another sign that China, in collaboration with Russia, wants to become a technological power. So it's not just based on low level industrial production and raw materials. Now, those comments were from Xi were very short. So I want to look at the larger, the longer comments that she made in a press conference with Putin that was held on March 21st after their meeting. She highlighted this exact point that I just made about how China and Russia are increasing their trade, not only in basic industries like energy, resources and such, but also they're ex expanding, they're strengthening their value chains, expanding cooperation in IT, the digital economy, agriculture and trade and services. 
and they're building multilateral structures, including the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, BRICS, the G20, and promoting genuine multipolarity to shape a multipolar world. Now, Putin made a lot of very similar comments that, that are repeated, but I do wanna highlight another comment that he said here, which is very important, and it shows just how close China and Russia are. Putin said, the president of China and I remain in touch at all times. It shows how deep this alliance is. He, said, he noted that Putin and Xi regularly talk to each other on the phone and by video conference to discuss matters of mutual interest. And let's not forget, they've had f at least 40 meetings that at least we publicly know of. And this doesn't include you know, many phone calls that are private. So finally, to conclude here, this is already going long, and a lot of these statements from the governments repeat a lot of the main points. So just before I conclude, I want to look at the uh, full statement released by China's state media, Xinhua, on March 22nd. So this is you know, after she left um, Moscow. And it, this is summarizing the agreements they made, the, the, agreement, the, the joint statement they made on a comprehensive strategic partnership of coordination for a new era. And this was published by the, the official Chinese government web, website. So in this statement, she stressed that China and Russia are each each other's biggest neighbor. And as a strong show of support, he reaffirmed that no matter how the international landscape may change, China will stay committed to advancing the China-Russia Comprehensive Strategic Partnership of Coordination for a New Era. So in diplomatic terms, what he's saying here is that no matter what happens, if the U.S. is at a direct conventional war with Russia, regardless of the, the NATO proxy war in Ukraine, regardless of Western sanctions on Russia, China it will always be Russia's ally. That's what they're saying here. So this is a very strong show of support. And in previous diplomatic statements, China and Russia say they have no limits. It's a no limits partnership. And even after, uh, after the West imposed these unprecedented sanctions on Russia over the proxy war in Ukraine, despite the Western attempt to isolate Russia, China released a statement saying that their friendship is rock solid. Now, going back to this statement here we're looking at today, it, the two sides called to enhance communication and coordination in international affairs. And again, in all their statements, they keep emphasizing these organizations, not only the United Nations, but the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the BRIC system, and other multilateral frameworks as part of a trend toward a multipolar world, opposing hegemonism and power politics. So this is a common point we see referenced again and again, and that's why I wanted to stress it because it shows that China and Russia are building a multipolar world. They're tired of the unipolar imperialist order constructed by the United States. And they see not only the United Nations, but also the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the BRICS as fora, as institutions by which to, to build this, to strengthen this multipolar order. And again, they repeat about strengthening cooperation in different areas. Russia congratulated China on on the negotiations between Saudi Arabia and Iran that were held in Beijing, which I've talked about as being deeply historic. And then they have photos, of course, of Xi and Putin. So those are the main points I wanted to highlight today. But in particular, I wanted to look at the economic angle because in, to the extent that Western media have reported on 
this meeting between Xi and Putin in Moscow. A lot of it was about China's proposal for peace talks over the war in Ukraine and about military cooperation. But I really think the key point to take away is the deepening of economic cooperation, challenging the hegemony of the US dollar, encouraging the use of the yuan in international trade as opposed to the dollar, including oil and, and gas trade, which challenges the petrodollar system. And of course, the increasing in bilateral trade between the countries, which is expected to reach 200 billion US dollars a year earlier than they expected, and will only continue going forward as China and Russia collaborate not only in basic areas of, of economic, you know, trade and uh, commerce like agriculture and raw materials, but advanced technologies, something that the West still does have an advantage in in many ways, but China and Russia are going to very quickly, I think, fill that gap. And they've made that clear in these statements. So with that said, I'm going to conclude here. I'm Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. I want to thank everyone. If you want to support this show, you can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com slash support. And in the description below, I will have links to all of the sources and further materials for people who want to explore. I'll see you all next time. Thanks a lot.